This is the podcast for RUF at the University of Texas. A community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others. For more information, visit www.ruf.org slash UT. Or find us on Instagram at TexasRUF. This is John 8, chapters 12 through 30. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. We all welcome to RUF. My name is John Trapp. I'm the campus minister here at the University of Texas. And wherever you're watching this, we're just glad to have you joining us tonight. You know, at RUF, we really do believe that God is gracious towards sinners and that anyone who is a Christian is somebody who inherently knows that they are a needy person. And so maybe you've just started coming to RUF or checking it out and wondering, like, I don't even feel that religious or am I like okay to be checking this out? And listen, all of us are in the same boat. We all need God's grace. And the good news of the gospel is that we have a great Savior for our need. And so wherever you are tonight, we're glad that you're checking this out. If you're a believer, we hope that this will be a time for you to be an encouraged, encouraged and reminded about the good news of Jesus as well. So let's pray, and then we'll turn to this passage that Maria just read for us. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for your grace and kindness to sinners like me. And I pray 
that you would help all of us now to see the kind of judge that you are, the kind of God that you say that you are, Lord Jesus, as we consider this passage. And we pray and ask all of this in your name. Amen. So about 60 years ago, this nondescript painting was sold at a yard sale for $60. And in 2013, the owner of that painting was thrilled to find out that what he had just thought was kind of this old, dilapidated looking, poorly uh, refurbished painting was in fact a copy of one of Leonardo da Vinci's works. And so this copy sold in 2013 for $10,000. Pretty good return on investment. And it was believed to be part of the school of da Vinci, which means that da Vinci would paint his painting, but then all of these people who were trying to learn from da Vinci about how he did his artwork would go and paint copies of his work. And they were, were considered to be in the school of da Vinci. And this was a great find to discover a painting that had been from his school that was old and it was worth $10,000. However, four years later, using all kinds of like technology that I understand that you can Google and read about, like infrared technology used to look at this document, it was discovered that it was not in fact a copy. It was the original. One of only around 20 confirmed original da Vinci works of art in existence today. And in 2017, in November, it sold for the most money that any painting has ever sold for in the history of auction painting, painting auctions, (laughs) $450 million. And the experts thought it was a copy and they missed it. And here's the kicker. The name of the painting Salvatore Mundi, which means the savior of the world. It's a picture of Jesus where his left hand is held up and then his right hand, he's holding the world, blessing the world in his hand. And all of the art experts who had looked at this painting from 2013 to 2017 and said, it's the copy, it's not the real thing until finally like using science, they discovered that this actually was it. And the experts had the the true savior of the world artwork in their midst, and they missed it. And that's what's happening here in this passage. All of the religious experts are around Jesus. And the true savior of the world is in their midst, and they're missing it. They're missing who he is. And that's one of the things that I want y'all to get here at RUF, is who the true savior of the world is. I don't want you to miss him. And so Jesus begins talking about the reality that he is the light of the world. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. The darkness of life, the light of life, and then so what? So the darkness of life, the light of life, so what? First off, the darkness. To get what's going on in this passage, I need to do a little bit of biblical history with you guys so you can appreciate what Jesus is actually saying. And throughout the Bible, there's this theme of dark versus light. It happens at the very, very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1, 
the whole world is darkness and God's first action in creation is to speak light into it. And I want you to think about that. God's response to darkness is always to send in light. His response to darkness throughout the Bible is to send in light. And we see this continue throughout the Bible, particularly in the story of Israel in Exodus. They get out of Egyptian slavery and they go into the wilderness for 40 years. And the wilderness is described by the prophet Jeremiah as a land of deep darkness. But once again, God never leaves his people alone in darkness. And so he manifests himself in the wilderness, in the darkness, with his people as light, as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And Israel's only job for 40 years was to follow the light. The way they were going to get out of the darkness was to continue following the light. And the way that God dwelled with them is every so often while they were wandering in the wilderness, God's presence would stop and they would camp and they would set up this thing called the tabernacle. It was the tent of meeting where God himself dwelled. And his glory, the glory cloud or fire, would go into the tent of meeting place, into the holy of holies. And that's where God dwelt with his people as light in the darkness. And all of the people dwelled around that tent in what you could say were smaller tabernacles or booths or like, you know, kind of makeshift places to sleep. And then they would get up and they would move on. So, This story happens with Jesus standing up and saying, I am the light of the world in John 8 at a Jewish feast that celebrates all of that that I just told you about in the book of Exodus. When God was dwelling with his people in in the tabernacle, when all of the people were dwelling in these temporary dwelling places called booths or tabernacles, they had the feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths in Jerusalem. And if If you were a little Jewish kid, this was your favorite holiday. It was kind of like Christmas because everyone came to Jerusalem. They all gathered together. And what you did for a week is you built a fort with your mom and dad and sleep, like slept together. You would sleep in a fort in the city. And that's how you celebrated the Feast of Booths together. And not only that, but there would be, there would be, um, structures set up all throughout the city, but also every night in the temple, there would be singing, and music, and dancing, continuing through the night of the feast, and there would be lights everywhere. Lights, especially in the temple, illuminating the entire city, reminding God's people that God was with them as light in the midst of the darkness. And it's at this feast that Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. That light that you followed in the darkness, the light that we're celebrating right now, guess what? I'm that light. He's the true savior of the world. But the religious leaders, the experts, start to miss it. They start to miss who he actually is. And they ask him in verse 14, how can we trust what you're saying? Why should we follow you, in other words? And Jesus' argument with them is, I'm from the Father. I am the light. And I'm from the Father, and I'm here with you. And listen, if that's true, 
we have to deal with that. If Jesus is who he says he is, he doesn't leave space for you to just kind of be like, yeah, Jesus is cool. He's a nice teacher. He forces our hand. He's forcing their hand here. You'll see in the story, some people believe him. Some people reject him or want to kill him. But no one's just kind of like, eh, it's Jesus. Nice guy. He doesn't leave space for that. Jesus forces our hand to choose whether or not we're going to take him at his word. And so my, my question for you is, what do you think about him? He isn't leaving space for you to kind of shrug your shoulders and say, he's cool, he's a nice guy, but I'm not really going to follow him. He says, we're either for him or against him. And I don't want you to miss the kind of God that he's claiming to be. So the problem with us, though, the problem with me and all of us watching this is that we are so prone to miss who he actually is. We're prone to miss the light because as John says earlier in John 3, 19, we don't like the light. We like the darkness. John puts it this way, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. This is what our sin does. All the wrong things about me, all the the, the wrong things, the things that you do wrong, or the good things that you don't do, those are our, that's our sin. And we like to hide our sin. We like to keep it in the dark. We don't want people to know the truth about who we are. And so we will go to great lengths to keep it in the dark. It reminds me of the way that my kids act when they scrape their knee. This happened last week. One of my daughters is out playing in the yard. She falls down, scrapes her knee, and immediately it feels like a hostage negotiation ensues where I'm just trying to convince her, please let me clean out your knee. And there's just screaming and begging, and she just wants to put a Band-Aid on it, her bloody, dirty knee, put a Band-Aid on it and go back out and keep playing. You know, and I know what happens if, if we do that. We put her at risk of infection. And because I love her, I want for her knee to be cleaned, for, there to, for the light to shine on that knee, to not cover it in the darkness of a Band-Aid all dirty and infection prone. And that's how we are with sin. And that's how our good Heavenly Father is toward us with our sin. He knows, he knows that it was not meant to be kept in the darkness. Jesus says it this way, verse 24, those who stay in the darkness end with dying in their sin. You see, he says that in verse 24, that those who stay in the darkness end up dying in their sin. And because Jesus is a good God, a good judge, we'll see in a second. He wants to bring our sin to light. So here's my question for you. What are the things that you protect and hide? Like when maybe you sense some kind of guilty conscience, which I would suggest may be God convicting you of your sin. 
How, what are the things that you protect or that you lie to yourself or to others about or that you overreact to? I'll, I'll give you an example for me. I protect my rightness. So when my wife Chrissy tells me something that I did that bothers her, I very rarely like hear it and I'm like, I'm so glad you brought that to my attention. I know that you love me and have your best, my best interests at heart. Thank you for telling me of that horrible thing that I said that hurt someone's feelings. Or thank you for telling me how I was ignoring our kids when I, I shouldn't have been on my phone. And I appreciate that feedback. I love my rightness, my self-righteousness. And so when she offers me feedback, constructive criticism, my, re- my response is to guard, to explain to her why she's wrong or why, why she's, she doesn't understand all of my great intentions. I was just like answering a, a prayer request text message from a student because I'm an amazing pastor. Like well, I, that's why I was looking at my phone and I, or, you know, whatever, that's probably not why I'm sorry, guys, but you know, I want to spring to my defense. What is it that you defend? What is it that you hide in the darkness that you don't want anyone to know about you? What God's word would have for us, what Jesus is telling us is that your sin intends to infect you and it intends to destroy you. Like Satan is, if the Bible was true, there's a real enemy that you have who hates you, who hates that you're made in God's image and who intends to destroy you. Let's close in prayer. No, I'm just kidding. But like, you need to know that. That's important. And what your enemy wants for you is is for you to keep your sin in the dark because that's where it can fester. That's where it can grow. It hates the light. But you need to see the kind of judge Jesus is. He talks a lot in this passage. He starts talking about judging in this passage. And I think it's really interesting that the story that happens right before this in our Bibles is John 8, 1 through 11. Now, if you have like a physical Bible, you can look at this. It's kind of interesting. In John 7, Jesus is at the Feast of Booths. And then John 8, 1 through 11, he's not. But then again, in John 8, 12, he is. Now, here's, here's why I think that's the case. If you look at John 8, 1 through 11, it'll have these like double brackets around it in most Bibles. That means that our earliest and most reliable manuscripts of the book of John don't include John 8, 1 through 11, which also means that um, it doesn't need to be treated with the same kind of biblical authority that we would give to the original message that John wrote. That doesn't mean, however, that we just disregard it because John 8, 1 through 11 has a great insight into, and and I wouldn't like just use this as an example. If this was my only example of like how Jesus is gracious towards sinners, then you could maybe push me on like, don't lean too much on John 8, 1 through 11. And we could talk about that, but it's, it's, um, it's just another example of how gracious Jesus is with sinners all throughout the Gospels. And so I think we could probably say without, with, within a reasonable guess that this probably happened. It's okay if it didn't because it's not from the original text. But the story is actually quite famous. 
And I think that it was added. I don't know when it was added. Some, at some point after John wrote it originally, I think it may have been added to give us an example of the kind of judge that Jesus is. Because he starts talking about judging. He says, I haven't come to judge. But then he says, but I actually have. So John 8, 1 through 11, famous story. Jesus is teaching and these religious leaders bring a woman who is caught into an adultery to him. And it says like, it wasn't like she was, she was an adulterer. She was caught in the act of adultery. So most shameful moment of her life, found out, brought before Jesus, maybe with like a sheet wrapped around her and put at his feet. And they're trying to trap Jesus, which happens all the time in the Bible. And say, what should, what should we do with her? Should we stone her? And Jesus famously says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And it says they all, they all walked away, beginning with the oldest. And then it's just the woman and Jesus left. And Jesus looks at her and he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no, Lord, no one. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. I think this story may have been added to illustrate the kind of judge Jesus is. When the truth about this woman was brought to the light, how did Jesus respond? With grace and mercy. And all throughout the story of the Bible, we find that that is how Jesus always responds to us when we bring the truth about ourselves to his light. He doesn't respond with shame that we should hide from. He doesn't respond with accusation. He says, I don't condemn you. He responds with grace. And here's the thing. Jesus is the, he's the only good and righteous judge who's ever lived. And he's the only judge who's also gracious, who's, Good, righteous, and gracious all put together perfectly. And that makes him trustworthy to come to. Where you can be fully known. See, most of us kind of settle for being kind of known and loved, but that's not really love. Our greatest fear is to be fully known and rejected. And as Tim Keller says, to be fully known and fully loved, well, that is a lot like being loved by God. For the whole truth to be known about you, this is who the true Savior of the world is. He is the light. And that, what that means is that his love is not conditional. It's not based on a condition. And do you know the kind of life that we can have from that? So he's the light of life. We get life from his grace. Um, I'll illustrate the life-giving nature of unconditional love by talking about two famous people. One, Brett Favre, quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. And uh, I've seen a couple interviews with him talking about his relationship with his father. He gave a famous speech at his Hall of Fame induction that I'll read in a second. But after I saw that speech, I wanted to like see other things about 
Favre and his father. And I came across this interview. His dad was his high school coach. And Favre says this, my dad may have told others I'm proud of that boy, but he never told me. He never told me I'm proud of you. And I remember thinking a good job would be nice to hear, but there might be 70 good plays and one bad one. And he would bring that bad one to light. So what gets brought to light? The bad. That's what gets focused on. And then in his, in his Hall of Fame speech, he says, his, his father had, had since passed, I think like a year before this speech. He said, I overheard my father talking to three other coaches and I hadn't played well the other week. I can, um, and he said this, my dad said, I can assure you something about my son. He will play better. He will redeem himself because he has it in him. And then Favre says, I thought to myself, that's a pretty good compliment. Again, I never told anyone, but I never forgot that statement. And then he begins to tear up and he says, and I want you to know, dad, that I spent the rest of my career trying to redeem myself. I spent the rest of my career trying to redeem myself and make you proud. And I hope I succeeded. Do you hear how life sucking that is? to try to redeem yourself for your father. Now contrast that with Pulitzer Prize winning writer Toni Morrison. She says this, I'm a great writer because when I was a little girl and walked into the room where my father was sitting, his eyes would light up. That's why I'm a great writer. That's why there isn't any other reason. Her father's face lit up when he saw his daughter. Unconditional love. The light of the father's countenance upon you with grace. That is who Jesus is. He is the light of life. He is the one who's so committed to the father having, his, having a smile over you that Jesus went to the cross so that we could have that kind of delight from the Father. In verse 28, Jesus says to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Jesus says, you know how you're going to know that I'm really the light of life? When you lift me up on the cross. Because when he's lifted on the cross, everything that was true about, is and will be true about me. All of my sin, all of my vulnerabilities was placed on Jesus and Jesus became vulnerable. Jesus became the, the one who is stricken and smitten and ashamed. And he does that so that you, so that anyone who is in Christ could have all of the credit of his perfect and right life given to them and all of our credit for our sinful, shameful life put on Jesus and Jesus takes it to the grave and dies with it so that you can have the unconditional light and love of God in your life. Don't miss the kind of savior that Jesus is. So what? Well, the way out of the darkness in the book of Exodus was for the Israelites to follow the light. And Jesus is saying the same is true still. The way out of darkness is to follow him, to follow the light. Jesus, John 1, 14 tells us, 
that in Christ, God tabernacled among us. He came and dwelt among us. But here's, here's what's crazy about the next, the next chapter in the story of the Bible. Do you know where God tabernacles now? In Christians. Through the Holy Spirit. So much so that Paul says in Ephesians 5.8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Friends, the way that Jesus now intends to bear his light of grace to the world, Christians, it's through you. So I'll close with this story. Mitch Chapokas was a sick kid. He had um, terminal cancer. And he and his family were staying at a Ronald McDonald house, um, which was housed in the hospital where a lot of other kids who were receiving treatment were staying, and Christmas was rolling around. And Mitch knew that uh, his cancer was, he'd been told by the doctors that he probably, this would be his last Christmas. And so he asked his dad, Dad, how much money do I have in my savings account that Grandma and Grandpa gave me? His dad goes, to the bank with Mitch and they check and there's $6,000. And so Mitch takes the money and begins putting that in envelopes, $300, $500, $700 envelopes. And on Christmas morning, he and his dad walk up and down the halls of the Ronald McDonald house and begin sliding these envelopes underneath the door, the doors of his friends who had told him that their parents weren't going to be able to afford any Christmas gifts because of all the expensive treatment that they were getting. And that whole Christmas morning, all up and down the hall, they heard shouts of joy as these families discovered this money that had been left at the foot of their door by this dear 12-year-old boy. And Mitch was so excited. He he was having so much fun. And he looked at his dad and just overflowing with joy, Mitch said, Dad, we've got to do this again next year. And his dad said, Mitch, you know that the doctor said, we're probably not going to get to do this with you next year. And Mitch kind of stopped for a second. He goes, oh, yeah. Well, then you've got to do it, Dad. And so from that day, on the nonprofit organization called Miracles of Mitch started. And every year, hundreds of kids, thousands of kids now, I believe, are given money so they can afford presents on Christmas morning as they receive their treatment at the Ronald McDonald House. And what Jesus would hold out for us, for you, friends, for anyone who is a Christian is that you now are called to bear the light of Christ and his grace and his mercy to the world. And it is a, what a mission. Your life is so meaningful. Even in the midst of a really, what feels like a dark time in our country and in our world, Christians, you have such an important role to play. Not even, don't even start thinking about the global scale. I want you to start thinking about how can you be a light to your friends, to the people that you live next to, who are in your room, maybe even right now.
How can you bear the light and the grace and the mercy of Jesus to them? And if you aren't a Christian, man, we're so glad you're here. And I want you to consider what Jesus claims. That he is the light. He's not a light, but he is the light. And Jesus isn't giving us much wiggle room to say that he's just a nice guy. He's claiming to be God. Nice guys don't do that. But he is a gracious God. That's who he claims to be. So come and bring to him who you really are, and he will shine the light of his grace upon you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent the true Savior of the world into our midst. Help us not to miss him. Help us to believe and to follow him, to follow the light and to be a light to the world. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.